Speaking of, Easter is coming. If you didn't know, it is next Sunday. Typically, um, from what we've seen and people we've interacted with, uh, if, if even friends of yours are raised in a religious context, they may not want to come to church any other day of the year. But if you invite them for Easter and for Christmas Eve, they'll probably say yes. So this week, just invite everybody. Just everybody. Because you don't know their background, so just invite them. And say, hey, Easter's next week. You want to come with me to church? And they might say, sure. Just don't let the shock show on your face. Just, I'm so glad. So some people are excited and want to invite Others are shy and they're like, I don't know how to do so. So what we have done is we have printed up these little invite cards. They look like business cards. They are nice and thick. You can find those out in the lobby. On one side, it's got our little motto, one of the many we have, rest for the weary, peace for the city. It's got our logo, address, time of location. This is what you need to get them here. On the other side, we have just local favorite food spots. We picked four. Couldn't fit all of them that we like on here, but we picked four that if you've been to them, you know they're really good. And so we are saying to you, hand this to somebody. If they don't want what's on one side, they might go with you to the thing that's on the other side. Uh, So we we printed these. Uh, One of these locations that we have recommended is Les Givral's Cave. Now, this is a Vietnamese spot. It's around the corner off of Washington. There are two locations, one right here, one on Milam downtown. And I love this spot. I think it has one of the best banh mi's in town. I think the pho is very good. And I have always enjoyed it. Now, there's, there's something, there's a difference between what I want for it and what's real. See, my desire for it My want to both eat there and have other people taste good food there was to put it on this card. And I say, I'm going to put it on here so that everybody can go there. But it doesn't really matter what I want for it. It doesn't really change what it is or what it's regarded as. A health hazard that was inconsistent in both service and quality. And so, in pure hilarity... Days after we printed this, it was shut down. So, uh, if you invite somebody to our church and you hand them this, just insert your favorite Vietnamese spot or invite them to Les Givrals downtown off of Milam. Uh, Okay, so we're here. It's Palm Sunday. It's the week before Easter. It's the week before Easter. Uh, this is the day where Jesus' disciples and a big crowd of Jews, they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. And he came in riding on a colt. Uh, they all laid palm branches down. They laid their coats down. And they called him the king. This is how they welcomed it. And so we celebrate this Sunday, Palm Sunday, every year because of this. Now, some see this this entrance of Jesus on the cult, as this big sign of worship. Okay, well, what is worship? Here's our working definition today. It is lifting up or honoring something or someone as superior, worthy 
of glory and praise. I'll read that again. It's lifting up or honoring something or someone as superior, worthy of glory and praise. So, would this story be an example of that, or is it masquerading as an example of that? Okay, so we're going to take a few moments today. We're going to look at this story, and we're going to have two questions in mind. So I want you to hold these questions in your mind as we are going through this. First question, what does worshiping Jesus look like? Flat out, just what does worshiping Jesus look like? Second question, what might worshiping Jesus look like in my life? What might worshiping Jesus look like in my life? So what does worshiping Jesus look like? And then what might worshiping Jesus in my life look like? Okay, that's where we're going today. Would you all close your eyes, bow your heads, and join me in prayer? Lord, we are about to launch into your scripture. We are about to look into what it looks like to worship you. And so in that, I ask that you are very uh, palpable, present here, that we can feel you, that we can almost uh, touch you. Because you are here, you are moving in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, Let us see you, guide us towards you, and as we leave, Lord, let our eyes be raised up and worship in honor of you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for these moments. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we are going to be in John 12. Some of the passages, when I get to them, will be above you. We are going to be in, well, The Bible. So the Bible is composed of 66 books. That's what makes up this big stack. Of those 66 books, four of them cover Jesus' life. Those four books are called the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all have, well, they have many similar stories, but they take different vantage points or perspectives even on the same stories. It's not really a surprise. Okay, so let's say Lauren and I were to listen to a piece of music. Now, it's the same piece of music, and we come to it. But Lauren is smarter. She is, she, her opinion on music is going to be higher. It's more trusted. She's going to pick out what, uh, what's good about the instrumentation, the timing, the sound mix, the singing quality, etc., etc., etc. This is what Lauren will do. And I will tell you if I like it or not. That's what I bring to the table. Now, it's the same experience, the same piece of music, but I am going to come at it from a different perspective. So we're going we're gonna to regard it differently. So similarly, these gospel writers are going to do the same thing. They are coming at the same story, but they have different perspectives. And so then they give us their perspectives as we read scripture. John, personally for me, he has my favorite, most unique perspective on Palm Sunday. So I wanted us to kind of camp out here and see what we can find. Like I said, all four gospels, they covered this Palm Sunday. Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. So Here in this, in all of them, like I said, we've got Jesus sitting on somebody else's colt. And he rides in on this donkey. People then start grabbing palm tree branches, other leafy branches. They lay them down. And then they also start laying their cloaks down. And I made the joke earlier, today we could actually lay our cloaks down because we all still have coats. 
in Houston. So we could lay them down. Jesus comes on the donkey. He rides into town. And as he rides into town, everybody is shouting, not like at him angrily, but they are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord or a version of that. So John has a fascinating take on this. Join me. Verse 12, John 12, 12. It starts by saying the next day. Well, I can't even get past that because in my mind, I said, what happened before that? What's, what's so important before that that now we are transitioning to the next day? So by way of, of brushing through the important stuff, it starts back in John chapter 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus has died. Jesus hears word that Lazarus has died and they're making their way back to see him. But they don't just go to see him. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus was dead. He was very dead. Everybody was worried, don't open it because he already is starting to stink. And yet Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, everybody is amazed by this. Everybody is wowed by this. Wow, Jesus raised this guy from the dead. He leaves Bethany. That's where they lived. We don't know how long he was gone or how far away he went, but we do know now he has traveled back for Passover. So it's not, it's an unknown number of days between raising Lazarus from the dead and Passover, which is starting right now uh, in the story, but we know he's now back. So he comes to Bethany to celebrate Passover with Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. It wasn't just like a nice family meal because Jesus raised a guy from the dead. So everybody is pretty excited to come and talk to Jesus and Lazarus. They want to see this. Hey, did you hear? Some guy got raised from the dead. What? Yeah, it's real. I don't believe it. Okay, well, let's go see him. Well, everybody kind of had that same feeling. So when they gather in Bethany for the start of Passover, the place is packed. There is a crowd that is surrounding both the inside of the house and outside of the house. We want to see this. We want to see if it's true. Did this guy raised from the dead. And they're showing up. And there are people who are like, I was there. I was there, man. You should have seen it. He was dead. And then he came out. This is amazing. And so everyone's showing up essentially like it's a big show. Okay. The crowd is growing. And when Jesus shows up, they come into the house. They're celebrating. And in the midst of the celebration, start of chapter 12, Mary, Lazarus' sister, she comes in. And she has this big bottle of perfume. She pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes it on with her hair. The smell of this fills the house. It was an incredibly expensive perfume. And everyone sees her worship Jesus in this way. And then on they go into the city. Now, at the end of this story in chapter 12, the Pharisees, they are the religious leaders uh, in this story. They are Jewish leaders, and they already have put a plan in motion to kill Jesus. They don't like what he's doing. They don't like how he's talking, and they don't like what he's doing to threaten their comfortable existence. Well, now Lazarus has been raised from the dead, 
And so the Pharisees are getting together again, like, okay, well, now we've got to kill two people because it's really hard to say that this guy is not the Messiah when he's raising people from the dead. And with this guy walking around and being all alive and stuff, that's really hard to say that he's not the Messiah. So we're going to have to kill both of them. So now this is like this. This is all happening in the background. Now we get to verse 12. The next day. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took those branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! In this context, how they are using it, it is a combination of uh, save us or save I pray, save I pray, and a shout of praise to the one who will save. So they're saying, save us, but we're also shouting it to you because we believe that you are the one who actually can save. You are the Messiah. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. There is an entire group, a crowd, a very large crowd following Jesus and shouting these things as he comes into Jerusalem. This seems like a pretty awesome celebration, right? I mean, it seems like quite the ordeal. Jesus riding in on the donkey, everybody laying things down so he has the the easiest approach into the city, and everybody shouting after him. This feels like worship, right? I mean, it feels as if they desire for him to be this long prophesied Messiah. They want him to be their savior, and they champion it loudly. They are championing what they want to have happen loudly. See, what happens is they had looked at Jesus' ministry. As we've talked about recently, what has Jesus done over the course of his ministry? He's fed people in a miraculous way. He has cast demons out of people. He has healed people with lifelong infirmities And now he's raised somebody from the dead. If this guy has the power to raise people from the dead, this is the pinnacle. It ain't getting better than this. This guy has to be the Messiah. And if he has to be the Messiah, then he is the one who has the power. And if he has the power, then we got to get behind him. Why? Because he is going to bring us hope. He is going to bring us peace. He is going to bring us victory over our captors. He will bring judgment. He will restore all things. He will bring redemption. And he is going to bring us power. It's not just that he has power. He is bringing us power. I mean, if they'd had the chance that day, they might have even printed out some invite cards calling attention to him as their local favorite. Uh, Jesus is walking into the city, but just like my short-lived plug for Les Givrals, Kaveh, their attention and love for Jesus was also short-lived because some of the same people that are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel, mere days later are shouting, crucify him. Kill him. 
we want nothing to do with this guy. I think actually my invite card's got a longer run than Jesus did here. They hadn't been praising Jesus for who he is. They had been praising Jesus for what he could do for them. They hadn't been praising Jesus for who he is. They praised Jesus for what he could do for them. He was only a means to an end. Chapter 12 on the whole can almost be viewed asking the exact question I asked us to ask at the top. What does worshiping Jesus look like? See, Jesus did this amazing miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And how did people respond? Mary responds by paying lots of money for this perfume. And when I say lots of money and I say the word expensive, you might say, oh yeah, yeah. 82% of someone's yearly income is what she dropped on this perfume. And she pours that on his feet. Her worship for him was costly. It was sacrificial. The crowd? Well, how did they respond? They saw that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They too were hyped up by it. But their response was to honor him for who they wanted him to be. They wanted to rush him into the city. See, this is all part of what they wanted. Let's get him into the city. Now, let's get him onto the throne. And now, let's kick our Roman overlords out. That's who we want him to be. That is what this Messiah looks like. That's the box that we want to fit him in. It was conditional worship. I will lift up and honor you only when you do what I want you to. It's conditional worship. What do we, today, not back then, what do we want out of a Savior? If you could build yourself a Savior, you know, go down to the old build a savior store at the mall. What would you put in that? I think that if many of us are pressed, we would want more out of Jesus. We would want more out of this savior. Reality is, I know sometimes I do. The number of times that I have prayed for some of these things Just kind of think, how many times have you prayed for these things? More money? More friends? More success? World peace? An end of racism? Of abuse? Of human trafficking? An end of cancer? Of sickness? Of disease? An end of wars? No more land battles? No more useless Facebook online beat-your-head-against-the-wall arguments? Have you ever been annoyed with a Savior that isn't answering you like you think he should? Why isn't this all fixed now? How do we react when Jesus doesn't fit our Messiah mold? The box that we've made for, the desires that we have championed him to be, how do we react when he doesn't fit it? Do we stop praying? Do we stop tithing? Do we leave the church? Do we stop trusting in him? Do we stop believing in him? 
do we shirk wisdom and then say, I'm going to live how I want. Because if I live like you want me to, well, it means I'd have to listen to you and you failed me. So I'm about what I want to be about now. Now let's flip this. How did Jesus react when he didn't fit the crowd's Messiah mold? How did Jesus react? I mean, the crowd that day, they had the wrong heart, they had the wrong motive, and they had the wrong desire. How did Jesus react? He welcomed their worship. He still welcomed their worship. Why? Because he is still the right king. Jesus is still the good and right king. So then, why? Why did he accept their conditional worship? Because of his heart. His heart was to love and restore everyone the people who were far away, and the people who, like me, wanted to worship him in their own way. Jesus, as opposed to the crowd, he he didn't have the wrong motive. He had the right motive. His motive was to make a way for all nations to find peace in him. The people who are racist, who are prejudiced, who are power-hungry, People who are disaffected, maligned, abused, needy. His motive is to make a way for all nations to know him and find peace in him. For people who are on the other side of the world who have never, ever even heard about him. Or the people who are across the street from you. Who don't know Jesus as Lord and don't know his peace. What was Jesus' desire? His desire was to be worshipped fully as the king over all. His desire is to break down all of the walls and the structures and the things that we have built to keep us in power and him out. He wants to break those down. He wants to love us in righteousness and call us to humility and grace the way that he lived. Whether you have come today like Mary, ready to give him praise and glory through costly sacrifice, or like the crowd, like me, frustrated that he isn't fitting your mold of what a Savior should be, there is hope. There is hope. It's Jesus. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is all that he was promised and prophesied that he would be because he's God. He is God come in the flesh. He is our good king that has come to save us and to set us free. The good news is that Jesus is our good king. He is worthy of all all of the praise that we can muster, inviting us to follow him, become his children, and worship him. See, Jesus is actually better 
than the Savior that we could make. Jesus is better than the one that we could make. He is faithful. He is powerful. He is real. He loves us. And he has come into Jerusalem on this day, nearly 2,000 years ago, to die and make us whole. I mean, put yourself there at that time. He didn't wait to act in our favor. He did not wait to die on the cross until we were all ready to act like Mary, ready to sacrifice everything for him. Instead, while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting him as good as God and as king, he walked into that city with our conditional worship falling on him. He walked the road to his death, ascending to a better eternal throne than the one we picked. See, Mary showed us what worshiping Jesus could right. I'm sorry. Mary showed us what worshiping Jesus rightly could look like. I don't think all of us want to go and drop 82% of our yearly income on some perfume to go and find somebody that looks like Jesus and put it on their feet. But what she showed us was this is what costly worship looks like. This is what it looks like to just worship him for who he is. So what does it look like for us? What does it look like for me? What does it look like for you to lift up and honor Jesus as superior, worthy of glory and praise? What does that look like for you? As we're wrapping up this time in the Word, what has the Spirit brought to your mind? What has the Spirit brought to your mind as something inside of you that Jesus says, I want you to worship me by giving this thing up, by not chasing this as God, by not letting this thing that holds you captive, let go of it, come and worship me as superior, worthy of glory and honor. What is that for you? Now, I can't tell you what that is. But I have one suggestion, one thing that you can do this week to actually put this to practice. One thing you could do is talk to somebody about Jesus this week. Go bearing the card, if that helps. The invite card with three quarters of solid recommendations. Give that to somebody. Invite them to Easter next week. Because it's not just my pastor at my church that I go to said I need to do it. I've been hearing that I need to do it for a while, and now I'm doing it. See, it's, it's, it's so far beyond that. It is something so much better because you engaging somebody about Jesus is actually showing that you think Jesus is better than anything you've found yet that you think he is worthy of your worship, your honor, and your praise, and you just want somebody else to know him as well. You want somebody else to experience the goodness of God for who he is and what he has done. See, the disciples noticed it here at the end of the passage. They were thinking back through everything that had happened. 
And they said, this is incredible. Zechariah, more than 400 years before, prophesied that this was going to go down like it did. And all of these people in their conditional worship still played into prophecy and honored and magnified the Messiah. How are you going to? My encouragement is this week, talk to somebody about Jesus and invite them to Easter. This is a tangible way for you to say, this is me showing them, I actually do believe God is like this. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, I thank you that we've had this moment to look in this passage and honor you as God, because Jesus, you are God. You are good, and you have invited us into a relationship with you. Lord, as I was talking, I know that I trust that you brought people's faces and names to minds out here of somebody that they could share Jesus with this week, somebody that they could invite to church. Maybe it was somebody that they work with. Maybe it's a neighbor that lives nearby. Maybe it's somebody that they hang out with when they go and they they compete in leagues or they go and hang out. Lord, wherever it is, you are bringing things to mind. Lord, I ask that you give our entire church confidence in inviting those people to church, to talking about you. Give us boldness this week. But Lord, we also need boldness to take steps in worshiping you by giving things up. Lord, there were things that I trust you stirred in hearts and minds. Lord, move in us and let us worship you for who you are and not what you can do for us because of what, rather, let us worship you because of what you have already done for us. You have made a way to be made whole and you are so good. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.